Yeah, I think probably like, like any any business or team, like the, the quality of the people in the room should, you know, the quality of people is your biggest asset. So I think recruitment of, you know, good people that are extremely competent in their roles is, is key. You know, that, that for me is always a starting point. And you're always going to have people at different levels, aren't you? Like your high performance manager, you know, they're, they're the most experienced person in the, in the performance team. And you're going to have developing people underneath that. But I think, you know, you've, you've got to have good expertise and competency to start with. Hello and welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe to my YouTube channel to receive a notification and never miss a live interview. I hope you enjoyed this interview and please share with a friend or a teammate that you think will value this episode. Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. My name is Jack McLean. I'm your host and today my guest is Blair Mills. Our current topic for today's chat will be elevating performance, the key pillars of world-class training. So if you're working in a world-class environment or perhaps you want to, this would be a great chat to make sure to get the, the notepad out. And of course, for high-performance athletes, no doubt you're going to get some gems here to uh, maximize your training and your athlete development. So if you're tuning in live, feel free to send in some questions. I'm sure we'll have some time for, for Blair to answer those questions. So you can just use the comment section below wherever you listen to this live chat. But thanks for jumping on, Blair. Really looking forward to catching up and, and uh, yeah, talking all things high-performance sport. Thanks for having me, Jack. Appreciate the invite. For those that aren't aware of your, your work, mate, do you mind sort of providing a bit of a background on how you sort of found your passion for high-performance sport and, and, of course, your work experiences you've done along the way? Yeah, I think, Jack, like a lot of listeners, you know, enjoyed playing sport when I was young, but at some point I, I stopped growing and got a bit fed up with getting beaten up all the time. So I always enjoyed training hard and kind of, I guess, early 20s started to put sport aside and started to get experience fitness training just amateur sides that became yeah quite a passion and combining that with you know some undergraduate study sort of led me into you know my first role thinking back now probably 2006 with Auckland rugby was my first full-time job in, in New Zealand quite young then so obviously finding my way in and and working with athletes of pretty similar age or older than me so you know I was really lucky through I guess volunteering and and spending a lot of free time uh, with Auckland Rugby through placements and internships. Uh, a role just came up at the right time as soon as I was graduated. So I had, had three years with Auckland Rugby working with the academy uh, and then was was lucky enough to be offered the New Zealand Sevens Rugby S&C coach role. If I did that for three years. That was full-time for the season was about eight months. And then for the rest of the year, I then I moved to New Plymouth and worked um, for Taranaki Rugby during our, I think it was called the Mighty Ten Cup there, so like our national um, domestic competition. So my kind of year was was kind of living out of a suitcase for a couple of years there. It was was pretty easy because I was single at the time, travelling around the world with the Sevens team for eight months, and then uh, moving down to probably one of the most rural parts of New Zealand. Farming is a massive part of that community. So that was a cool experience, being a bit of a city slicker and then moving down to a fairly rural uh, community. So I did that for three years and then I moved to Hamilton to work with, with the Chiefs Rugby Club as an assistant strength and conditioning coach and was really lucky to, they were a team that was that had already won the Super Rugby Championship and now I came in in 2012, 13 
and jumped on the bandwagon really first year I was there the team went back to back which was really cool and that's probably really where I started to I guess probably the most influential period of my career really started to shape how I think about performance and really opened my eyes to probably what I didn't know you know we're always always learning but learned so much during that period stayed there for for six years and then moved back to sevens all black sevens team which was now an Olympic sport quite well funded and went back there as the head strength and conditioning coach for three seasons leading into the Tokyo Olympics and since then I've been in Japan working with Toshiba so this is my start my third season with them now so yeah, a few few gigs there and and yeah really really different experiences but really lucky with you know some of the coaches and the quality of performance staff that I've been able to learn from and some of the players that I've been able to work with and and you know overall the experiences that I've had have been you know I've been really lucky with all of those yeah fantastic that's some great programs to be involved in like you mentioned that's probably a good segue for the for the next question mate in terms of strong influences who, who have they been along your journey and how they sh- help shape your philosophy yes since my arrival at the Chiefs uh, as I mentioned I was yeah probably I was probably six years into my career there and I was it was quite uncomfortable going into an environment that, like I said, had already well, just won a competition. I was thinking, shit, what can I, what can I possibly here? They've already cracked it. You know, players and coaches that I'd watched on TV and otherwise. So initially, quite bright-eyed and quite nervous, but you know, just just a real high-quality coaching crew, all ex-teachers, so strong education background. You know, a lot there around how to you know create change and try and almost convince athletes to do what you want them to do through you know building relationships and having i guess learning how to have just conversations but also you know what what pure high performance looked like and and the behaviors that you know your leadership group needed to model every day for high performance to become a reality uh so probably rather than following s and c performance people i think actual technical coaches have probably been the biggest impact on my career I'm still, you know, still have to bring myself back into that mindset every now and then. You know, probably a little bit guilty, all of us at times, of getting taken away from, you know, with technology and software. And but it's all really comes down to coaching and how, you know, how effective you are at making change. It's not how much we know; it's how much we can educate the players and and make them understand why things are important, so they can then do the things that we want them to do. So, you know, I remember always being told in terms of my professional development that you know I'm a performance coach and should look at going on coaching courses and ways I can deliver better I can coach better rather than perhaps going to you know an NSCA conference which is a bit more about S&C so I've always been you know mindful of that still enjoy software and technology and innovation you know probably become reasonably good at understanding what's most important where's the biggest need for change and then how do you you know what what piece of technology or what resources you need to, to achieve that see a lot of facilities with heaps of equipment and nice gear but they're not winning so so yeah it's just for me finding that balance i think yeah yeah such a great answer love that and mm. it's going to be something we spend a little bit more detail yeah, going into a little bit later on. Go, going back to your career, what have been some sort of highlights that you look back on fondly or, you know, experiences where you're, you're proud of 
being able to achieve over your career? Um, I think you're always really proud when you see you know players reach higher honours or, or reach their potential, and you know knowing that you've it's at some point had a little bit of a part to play in that, and also staff too. Just you know see staff go on to bigger opportunities and and really succeed in in, your, in the career that staff that you've worked with or you've had under you, which you've helped sort of grow and, and guide. Chiefs, uh, yeah, just I don't know. You talk about like that flow state. I remember in 2013, you know, we just got to a point where it just didn't feel like we were going to lose. We couldn't lose. A lot of people involved in creating that environment. You know, we weren't the most talented team either, but the coaching crew were able to create an environment where players were so, I guess it was so meaningful and it was, it was quite deep. And, you know, it was quite inspiring for me to just be a part of that, really, and just see how hard players were prepared to work and, you know, how deep they were prepared to go. Like that period probably for me was probably the most influential on my career. And then and then probably going back into sevens with the All Blacks team and coach theories and made of mine, Clark Laidlaw, you know, he's able to create a, a really strong environment, you know, where the players were again just super engaged and, you know, you just knew they would train as hard as they needed to and, and at times just didn't feel like they were gonna lose either. So but I know how much work went into that in terms of working with the leaders. You know, a lot of a lot of that stuff is probably built off the, the book The Barcelona Way, where you know talk about cultural architects and choosing the right characters in your environment who can model the behaviours that you want. And you know, both those two teams, you know, did that to such a high level where players didn't have any other option to, but to jump on board and, you know, get involved and, and basically that was that was cool. That was the fashion to be really, I guess, aspirational and, and try and, you know, train and, and recover and eat as well as you ever could. So, yeah, really quite special experiences, those two, for me. Experience, like like you mentioned, and an inspiring environment to, to work in. On the flip side, most significant challenges you've faced over your career, obviously with elite sport comes pressure at times uh, and challenging mm-hmm. situations. What would be an example of, of some of those big challenges and how did you grow or what did you learn from facing those challenges? Like it is a quite an insecure industry. Jay Jackets, you know, from one day, you know, see good mates in New Zealand who are doing well, being plumbers and builders and all that. And you often think, man, should I have just gone down that path? But it's nowhere near the fun. So, you know, you wouldn't have it any other way. But probably the, the insecure nature of the industry is, is tough. But, you know, I am a big believer in... You know, if you're, if you're committed to professional development, upskilling, you know, you're good at your job. I think it all tends to work out in the end. You know, you've got to be prepared to move around in this industry. You know, I've been to probably six different cities for work, which can be quite unsettling for, you know, your family and things like that. But it's also, you know, I guess it's the approach you take. We sort of look at it as a bit of an adventure and particularly coming to Tokyo, you know, learning new language and a, like a completely different culture uh we saw it as a we see it as a good opportunity for a family experience that we'll you know we'll look back on, on uh, in the future and you know have some really cool memories so yeah there's, there's certainly positives and, and negatives of the nature of the industry i think you know changing coaches is always a little bit difficult you don't really know where you stand it's never done in the, at the perfect time either is it but again i just sort of Although what I said earlier about trying to keep uh, current, have, have good connections in the industry and 
and just I guess just try and be a good bloke. Yeah, that's good. Still trying that, mate. Still trying to master that. Yeah. I hope. <laughs> yeah, aren't we all? Aren't we all? Well, we'll kick things off into the the key topic in terms of creating a world class environment, and it sounds like you've definitely experienced those uh, in your work experience. So it'd be good to shed light on perhaps some stories or and moments where you saw the shift, uh, whether it be from leadership group or, or from staff. But I guess to kick it off, what, throughout your journey, has, has there been an experience where you've noticed there's a real trend when it comes to a high-performance environment, whether it be the coaching group, the leaders, where are, what are the sort of the key pillars that you need in place to, to have a sustainable, um, successful, world-class environment, do you think? Yeah, I think for like any... Any business or team, like the, the quality of the people in the room, should you know the quality of people is your biggest asset. So I think recruitment of you know good people that are extremely competent in their roles is is key. You know that that's for me is always a starting point. And you're always going to have people at different levels, aren't you? Like your high performance manager, you know, they're, they're the most experienced person in the in the performance team, and they're developing people underneath that. But I think. You know, you've, you've got to have good expertise and competency to start with. I think like what I've probably learned, Jack, is, you know, in the All Blacks have been a, a good example of that. I think, you know, identify what, what's really, really important for success and perform those habits at, at world-class levels on a consistent basis. I think it's easy to, as I sort of touched on earlier, it's easy to get swayed or, or pulled away from those things because it was maybe... You know, it's not funky. It's not. I think teams that that do the fundamental things really, really well generally are the teams that succeed and, and teams that maintain success for for periods of time. So, if, you know, for for me, when I was working with the sevens team, it was you know, there's a massive environment part of that that you know that was coach driven, and that was I think I remember Clark saying that that was the first thing he focused on when he started that role. The rugby program came second to get the right people in the building first you know the rugby is the, is the easy part everyone can do that but yeah i think you know being really 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 fit recovering really well and putting a lot of emphasis into uh, you know nutrition and how we ate but doing those three things to a, to a really really high level i remember when we we're in las vegas visiting the ufc we were lucky to get a tour from duncan french and he he highlighted that that you know understanding what's really important for success but going super super deep on you know just a small few rather than doing things but a lot of things to just an okay or, or an average level yeah i love that yeah yeah that's great what would be an example of some so you mentioned like the ability to be able to identify what's important mm-hmm. and then fundamentals and then like you said sort of yeah, go going deep and really focusing a lot of energy on on that what what would be some examples of key areas that you think I guess field team sport athletes should focus on. Yeah, I think you're obviously like from a performance side, you know, your your fitness and your ability to repeat high quality efforts is really important. And you know, for, for any role that I go in, have a really really clear understanding of you know the physical demands of the game, but also a really clear understanding of you know how, how the coaches want to play the game, and that probably then dictates what is what is more important. And the other, I remember, you know, again, back at the, going back to the Chiefs here, but we, you know, saw what happens, isn't it? We had home and semi-home final, and, you know, this money came in, and we had things like our altitude chambers signed off on all the toys. You know, I remember 
you know, discussions around, well, we're quite a fit team, but we're already struggling with some of our younger players to put on lean mass. We're not going to change the way we train, so we've got to feed these guys. We've got to put our resource into the nutrition, for example, in order for guys to keep putting on lean mass, how we train. So that was, you know, I guess an example of, you know, where, where we invest our money based on the type of game that the, the coaches want our players to be prepared for. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That And you're sort of also just adjusting things because your training squad evolves year after year, even if it might be a similar coaching philosophy. Mm. Um, the athletes you got in front of you might be different, uh, different setups. So, yeah, like you said, with the younger players being able to um, provide them that environment. Um, what about from a sort of physical and mental aspects of peak performance? Like, is there, I imagine you'd have performance psychologists that you've worked with in the past that sort of own that mental side, but how do coaches and performance staff sort of help with that interplay of physical and, and mental to prepare sort of robust athletes? Yeah, I think, you know, if we've tried to do previously as well with, with our medical team is just try and convince them that we're all performance coaches, we're all influencers. So, you know, we'll have our part to be these cultural leaders. So how I push and hold a plaque different to how one of our medics would, but what we're always trying to do was, to, you know, there, there was a common language and, you know, the whole, you walk past the standards you accept. We wanted, you know, anyone in the, in the environment, any sort of member of staff to be able to, you know, pull up a player if something wasn't done to the level required. So, you know, we'll probably have our part play in that in that mental base don't we it's obviously probably directed a bit but more and a bit heavily by the actual sports psychologist but that, that's an area that you know i've really well you know really tried to work on previously is that you know to get in touch with earlier about um delivery and, and education um and how you have conversations with players performance conversations to create change you want ideally it'd be great if, if all members of staff trained to be able to do that rather than just having to you know wait for the head coach to to do that yeah yeah so it's empowering the whole staff uh, mm. to i guess all beat on the same drum and the players won't necessarily know where the messages come from if everyone's sort of saying similar similar sort of tone yeah it makes a lot of sense and i guess it makes for much uh, the influence that that would have on a player because it's a consistent message is far stronger right well i think the consistent messaging is is key, isn't it? And that you know definitely shows alignment, you know, from the mm-hmm. from the management, coaching staff, and that I, you know, honest players would want that, I think. And you know, high-performing teams have that. The expectations are made really clear early, and then you know, if, if players do not sort of meet up to those standards, then those sorts of conversations aren't actually difficult or courageous conversations. It's just these are. The standards that we've spoken about and met them, so you know, it's quite a, it's quite an easy conversation, really. Uh-huh. And going into sort of the more the programming side of things, like periodization, I imagine there's a balancing act between consistency and consistent exposure, but also having adaptability and keeping training fresh. Where do you sort of lean? Is it sort of the feel of the group, the subjective sort of conversations having with the players on when things need to be shaken up, or? Is it more objective markers once you feel like your, your programming's getting the response that you want physically, you then start to add in some some variability? What's your sort of thoughts? Yeah, yeah I think certainly have a, a periodized plan. And Jack, and for my probably last six to eight years, been involved in teams that 
we, we try and adopt a bit more of a technical model where, you know, we, we try and achieve majority of our speed and conditioning work within a rugby context. And that involves, you know, quite a, probably a bit more planning. But I find that approach really, really stimulating. You've got to work really closely with your coaches. You know, you've got to have a really sharp, I guess, reporting, databasing system. But I think, you know, it's another thing I did learn, did start at the Chiefs was what, from the second week pre-season we were doing rugby where traditionally you know pre-christmas it was all strength and conditioning guys are running in straight lines there's no ball there's no real no agility stimulus you weren't having to react to any sort of you know external stimulus and all of a sudden and we were doing none of that we were doing all our conditioning with the ball and you know admittedly we we i'd sort of just come and, and, and there was an already an established on a model there but I think you're still learning how to do that did break quite a few players because I think we were over training but as we learned more around you know what the actual game demands were and then how do you periodize off that uh, you know we became more way more effective at that uh, and I've kind of taken that approach to you know the other two teams that I worked with since then but I think you know the more rugby that you do or the more of the sport that you do probably the better at that sport you're going to get like it's a lot of teams you know everyone has a great pre-season everyone's hitting bbs and looks 100 you know million bucks but i think really good performance staff you start earning your money when the season starts and you know what your approach is there whether it you just go into a really long maintenance or kind of re- recovery type mode and or you you know you have a real good plan where you, you see opportunities to push you know using smart sports science and doing things safely um, and your athletes are actually able to improve uh, as the season progresses and that's you know more of the approach that, that I favour it's actually not, I was going to say it could be more high risk but I actually think it's probably a high risk the, the other way where you just you know it's a slow decline as the season progresses and uh, become more vulnerable. Yeah I think so I think you know on quite an individual approach with regular monitoring because uh, then you can adjust and make changes and you can you know you're able to then get an indication of how effective the period of work that you've just prescribed has been. And ultimately, the, the probably the biggest indicator of success is, is wins or losses. But, you know, if you're able to improve periodically as the season progresses, you know, it's probably going to have a, a positive effect on performance as well. Yeah, 100%. There's a couple of things to probably shed light on there. I guess the aspect of the tactical model and bringing, in, bringing out the rugby balls earlier in the pre-season, you mentioned early days, there's some learning that got into that and a few players were sort of overloaded and, and a few injuries. What was sort of the, now with the experience you have and I guess for coaches that want to make that shift going into next pre-season, what are certain things to take into account? Is it sharpening your monitoring sort of strategies or is it more just some, the ways that you brought that work in and being able to manage the, the load or yeah, talk us through the learnings, I guess? Yeah, I think um, like Japan's, quite easy because we get a three-month pre-season so you get a long time to uh, to build athletes whereas you know super rugby historically we'd get kind of three weeks before christmas and then two weeks after christmas and then you're playing in what games and then the season starts so i think like progressive overload is key and you know you, you probably do need a, a really solid wellness system because there's always signs where and it's it's like you've got to make a decision where you want to be conservative or you want to keep pushing but i think a strong honest monitoring system is obviously really important but probably more importantly is you know you've got to 
get around your players and you've got to be around them quite a bit to you know, get a feel for how they're coping with the load. But I think, you know, really, really simple is you just got to build solid foundations first. And then, you know, from that, you've got a really solid platform to, to, to launch from following that. And I think, you know, where things may get in trouble is when you, you try and progress things too hard too early. Yeah. And you know, we've had a couple of casts already in our squad and on reflection, you know, particularly with the heat uh, at the moment. Um, and some, you know, maybe the age of some of the players on reflection, probably too much too soon. So, you know, ideally we probably would have intercepted and, and those not have happened. But I think, you know, for older players, probably do need a little bit of a modified approach as well. We often will cap guys with, you know, older players with injury history as well. Them at you know maybe eighty five percent of the load of what another younger player in that position might be, or on the other end, if you if you're a, you know you've just finished school and you're a developing athlete, but you're super talented, you still might be playing in a top team. You, know, you still need an individualised plan, and your plan shouldn't change whether you're playing that in the weekend or the top team or not. Like I think you got to stay strong to I guess you know common sense and really basic um, scientific principles that have kind of stayed the course for years that have, you know, designed by people that are way smarter than your object. I just think that, uh, yeah, that, that, that's sort of how I think about that area. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And the, it's good to get that insight. And the, you mentioned the mindset shift from sort of a recovery model to more of a, a performance mindset where you're constantly trying to get better in, you know, in, in a smart way and it's periodized in, in season, but yeah holding the players to that and building, I guess, that momentum leading up to hopefully a finals campaign. Mm. Where, where did that shift happen for you? Did you see a particular club for the first time do it or is it always sort of something that you've seen? Yeah, or yeah, conversely, have you seen both the, the recovery model and the performance model and and therefore you know that the performance model just tends to get a better result? Yeah, I think probably seen a bit of both, Jack, and I don't think I've been involved in a team I've been quite lucky. I've, I've always sort of been involved in, especially the last six or eight years, where the coaches have been on the other end of the spectrum where we've almost had to kind of, let's just calm down a wee bit. Everyone's getting a bit too excited. You know, like I know at the Chiefs, we just had the Todd player where, remember the coaches talking about that if, like our game day minus two session, if that was at that time, that was live, it was almost like a game and the coaches felt that if it wasn't like that, our players would play quite soft in the weekend. Whereas, you know, some other teams don't want that big exposure two days out from a game because then, you know, you think of the recovery required, you know, in a pretty short space of time. So I guess it's knowing your group of athletes and what's best for them. But I think, you know, when you've got longer turnarounds and, you know, at the start of the year you can identify opportunities to build, but things may change if you start getting a few injuries and, you know, you might have to be a little bit more conservative but I think you know my my approach to, to building fitness would be to, to not build volume but to build density work so I'm not actually chucking more load at them we're just asking for more intensity so it's it's almost like a like a little taper approach for a you know for an Olympic sport where you know traditionally you'd, you'd drop the volume but you'd maintain a fair amount of intensity and that's you know, that, that's a way that well, I've been involved in teams that have done it where players still feel quite fresh, fatigue's relatively the same, but get get quite a good training response that transfers to the field. And that's obviously the key 
JK, it's, it's got to enhance the scoreboard. At the end of the day, it's you know there's no point having a, a team that you know has great um, Bronco or, or Yo-Yo or is it was a 1.2k that um, AFL traditionally do. Ah, uh, yeah, the two two k time trial, but I know the one point two. Yeah, so have these these great honors boards, but you know teams getting dusted every weekend. So you know everything we do has has to enhance the scoreboard, really. Yeah, hundred percent. Feels like we've unpacked a fair bit on the topic of world class training environments. Is there anything where you want to touch on or elaborate or, or wrap up before we move into the last part of the show? No, no, I don't think so, Jay. And what about in your work life? Have you got anything that sort of fires you up? Any any pet peeves? Not really. Like, I get annoyed with already work life, but when mates, so you're driving mates and they leave their, like, uh, wrappers on the side of your door, that's pretty annoying. But I think, not, not really, Jack. I think, nah, no, no, just trying to think. I think that really, I think, like, on game days, I mean, I, I, mean, I think back to when I was younger, like, game days are cool, aren't they? That's, that's kind of what you, what you do it for, but. I do laugh now when I see, you know, support staff on the sideline just barking and screaming and almost giving like a running commentary and yelling at the refs and I, that, that makes me laugh a wee bit. I think some people just need to chill out, but I sort of hand up being there, done that myself, but not, not really any pet peeves. I, nah, nah, nothing really. Yeah. And what about favourite way to spend a day off? I think, yeah, the moment in Japan, we yeah, tend to probably do a little bit of work in the morning and then go out for a, just a bike ride with the family. We we don't have a car here in Japan, so we ride everywhere. Uh, we'll catch the train. So, you know, it's it's quite funny. A little little boy just sits on the front and does a little seat and go for a ride around. So I tend to, tend to do that. It's really easy to get around here. It's really safe. So you can just try and go out and have a look around and go for a nice lunch and try and see as much of, of the area as you can. Yeah, nice one. And the obviously the recording of this is in August of 2023, so over halfway point of the year. What's on the horizon for you for the rest of uh, rest of the year? What are you excited about at the moment? Yeah, we're we're sort of two weeks into a three month preseason, so just started. But our clubs yeah, invested quite heavily in some you know pretty pretty good talent that will arrive after the Rugby World Cup. So you know, looking forward to to working with you know that level of of player. Uh, and yeah, mate, just just looking forward to trying to chip away and get get some you know Australian credit accreditations. Just get some of them under my belt, and you know, whilst doing two months, so another another boy or girl coming, which is obviously pretty cool. Congratulations! Yeah, yeah. massive. Even more wrinkles under my eyes in, in six months. I'm, <laughs> yeah, that's a good, mate. Yeah, plenty happening. That's mm-hmm. great to hear. And for those that have any follow-up questions, Blair, where's the best place to get in contact, mate? Yeah, on on LinkedIn and Twitter, so at bmillsnz. I'm not, I probably should contribute. I was going to say contribute more, but I never contributed, so I probably need to start on Twitter a fair bit. But yeah, happy to, always keen to connect and and discuss and chat things about performance. I'm really passionate about performance in, in general and keen to learn about other sports and how things are done there as well so awesome yeah i appreciate that for those listening here that might be driving i'll add the links to blair's uh, socials on linkedin and twitter in the show notes so you can easily yeah click click those links when you park the car and and, and uh, send in your questions there well really appreciate you jumping on blair and i know it's a busy time two weeks into into pre-season so appreciate you on your day off coming on the show and, and shares with us your experiences your journey in the sport but also some great value in terms of some practical tips and insights into what it takes to to work in a a world-class environment 
and like you, you sort of mentioned how special it can be in terms of the the experiences you can have and the, in, the sort of inspiration you can sort of um, be involved in uh, working at that uh, top level so really appreciate you coming on mate and um, all the best with uh, the pre-season and of course uh, the new bub along the way the new mills thank you now thanks for the opportunity Jake. good to chat Thanks, mate. And for, for those tuned in live, our next live chat is with France Bosch. They'll be on Wednesday, the 23rd of August. That's so at 3 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. So I will see you guys then. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more updates. Thanks, guys. Cheers again, bye. Thank you, mate. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as Q&A segment, aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from the Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, so I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be and then game changes yeah, game changes whatever that might be and look it probably keeps me in a job but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was, you spoke a, a, quite a bit about, um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or, um, do physically that, um, you wish you either knew or did, um, uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now, and and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's you're having a hard time. Um, 
it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble um so that's that's been huge um i think i wish back then when i was younger i asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things Mm. i think i was a bit single-minded back then and um you know i thought there was one way of doing things and um if i kind of didn't have that fear of you know asking a silly question or fear of judgment it would have got me a lot further and i probably would have learned a lot quicker um and yeah. and yeah like just yeah being open to sort of different things um because you never know what you might find it's just yeah there's so many people like great people out there knowledgeable people to learn off and there's plenty more where that came from if you would like to learn more then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.